Hello, my beautiful Tropicanas. Welcome back to The Ricardo Project, the podcast where we watch through I Love Lucy episode by episode and talk about its historical, comedic, and emotional impact. My name is Dana, and I am so grateful that you've joined me today for a really great episode, episode 116, Lucy Fakes Illness, which premiered 70 years ago today on January 28th, 1952. So here's what happens in Lucy Fake's illness. The episode opens with the Mertzes coming into the Ricardo apartment, which means that Fred is back in my life, so we all know that I'm thrilled. He looks pretty dashing, I have to say. Um, Very daring with the pattern mixing. He's got a vertical striped shirt, a checkered jacket, a flower print tie. He's kind of in it to win it. It's a bit much on the eyes as it goes on, but I was very happy to see him in this cute little outfit. Lucy comes out and she's in her classic polka dot dress. She looks beautiful as always. And the Mertzes are there to talk to Ricky about an ad that he placed in Variety because he needs new acts for the club, which Lucy is very excited about because Lucy wants to get into show business. We all know this. So she goes to look for the ad in Variety, but Ricky has cut the ad out. And Lucy has a great line where she's all mad. She goes, he said it was a recipe that he wanted to save. So Lucy, Ethel, and Fred are talking about what acts Ricky needs for the show, and he needs a beautiful showgirl, a dance act, and a dog show. So I guess Theodore and his friends from episode four, from uh, Lucy Thinks Ricky's Trying to Murder Her, I guess they didn't work out, which makes me sad. They were so cute. Lucy decides she's going to be the beautiful showgirl, obviously. The Mertzes want to be the dance team. Ricky comes home, and they all launch into audition mode, dancing, singing. It's Pretty chaotic, actually. At one point, the Mertzes do a really hilarious, like, we're the dance team, kind of ta-da moment. They clearly took a little razzmatazz from our girl B. Benadarit last week. The Mertzes get an audition, but Ricky says that he won't let Lucy audition at all. And Ethel really comes to Lucy's defense and says that she's going to get a complex she might get depressed. She might even go off her trolley. We get a great comedic rule of three moment where Lucy says yeah to each of these kind of proclamations from Ethel and she says them all a little bit differently. It's very, very funny and a really good example of this comedic rule of three. Clearly, Ethel has inspired Lucy because the next morning she is reading a book on abnormal psychology that she got from the library. Ethel comes in wearing a very bold pattern. At this point, I'm starting to think that the Mertz's got a magazine about fashion or something. They want to really young it up because they are going bold. Ethel tries talking to Lucy a couple times. Lucy really isn't listening. It's very clear at this point that a defining characteristic of Lucy Ricardo is that she cannot read and pay attention to anything else at the same time. Lucy tells Ethel about the book she's reading, which says that If a person is denied a dream or a goal for a long period of time, they'll get so frustrated they'll begin acting out. And she says that the book indicates there are three ways to manifest this frustration. They'll behave like who they're kept from becoming, they'll develop amnesia, or they'll become childlike again. And Ethel asks which one Lucy's going to do, and Lucy says she's going to do all three of them. So this is the ruse. Lucy is going to develop this fake complex so that Ricky will be forced to put her in the show because that's going to be the only way to cure her. This is another scene that, like in the amateur hour that's kind of hard to describe because so much happens. And honestly, I don't want to just, I think it'll ruin the comedy to just recount the whole thing. 
watch the scene. I'll try to find a clip of it. If I can find a clip that's on YouTube or something, I'll link it in the show notes because it's really worth a watch. But this is such a beautifully done scene. Lucille Ball goes into three distinct characters that all kind of her 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 Tallulah Bankhead character kind of leads into her amnesia character, which kind of leads into her child character. It's really, really good. So I'll just try to give you what I can <laughs> without recounting it too much because I could truly do a word-for-word reenactment and it still wouldn't do it justice. Ricky comes home and he calls for Lucy. He does a big Lucy, I'm home. And Lucy comes out in full Tallulah Bankhead regalia. The voice is so on point. It's an incredible impression. Every other word out of her mouth is darling. And every single time she does it, it gets a bigger laugh. The audience is so excited to see this Tallulah Bankhead impression. The minute she comes out, they recognize who she's supposed to be, and they all start applauding. It's great. After a wonderful round of Tallulah impersonation, Ricky asks Lucy to be herself, and she transitions into the amnesia character by saying, I'd be very happy to be myself if I could remember who I am. Who am I? And she begins to transition from the grandiose complex to the amnesia complex, which has a high-pitched Southern, kind of less disturbing Norma Desmond quality to it. Very old Hollywood. She's looking out. Her eyes are gigantic. Her hands are kind of up at her face. It's a really fun role. She has no idea who she is. My favorite line from this section is that she says, I was told never to talk to strange men. My mother told me. And then she looks into the distance and goes, whoever she is. It's so delightful. And at this point, Ricky sends her to, to lie down because she's clearly acting peculiar. And he calls the doctor. He's told to humor her until the doctor calls her back. Lucy uses going into the bedroom as an opportunity to transition to the third complex, a childlike state. The childlike character is so great, so um, obstinate, really, really fun. She asks Ricky to take a bite, a, a, a big lick of, of a giant sucker that she has. And the minute he puts it in her in his mouth, she rips it out of his mouth and yells, that's enough. He She takes a page out of Jimmy's book from uh, The Amateur Hour and kicks Ricky in the shins at one point. It's a really good portrayal of a kid, at least a kid in the I Love Lucy world, because she's honestly acting just like a little girl version of Jimmy and Timmy from The Amateur Hour who we've already established are how children behave in this particular world. Super fun. Actually, there's a lot of moments in this episode that feel like callbacks to other episodes. The next day, Ricky is just beside himself worried about Lucy. She's in bed. She's playing jacks with Ethel in the bedroom. And Fred comes in completely covered in grease and snitches on Lucy. What a freaking snitch. This is our first instance of Fred listening to things in the apartment building through the furnace pipe, which will be a huge plot point in one of my favorite episodes from this season, The Gossip, which comes later. Fred gives up the goat. He tells everything, that Lucy is faking it, that this is all for attention. And Ricky decides that he's going to get back at her, and he's he's ready to go. He calls an actor friend named Hal March, which is the actor's real name. Hal March is playing himself in this episode. He asks Hal to come over and pretend to be a doctor who's going to diagnose her with some horrible disease, <clears throat> which Hal rightfully says is a pretty dirty trick. But he agrees to do it anyway. So to begin, to begin Ricky's half of the ruse, he comes in and he says, I want you to be a star of the club, but only once you're healed and you have to get checked on by a doctor to heal. Even though Lucy, of course, snaps out of it the minute that she's told she's going to be a star. 
Hal March shows up with this giant fake beard and begin, it kind of looks like Sigmund Freud, weirdly enough. And he begins examining her. He, it's There's a lot of fun physical bits with the stethoscope and a tongue depressor. And he diagnoses her with the goblutes. But he starts making up all these words. He says that if it gets worse, they're going to operate and take out her zorch. Maybe they'll be able to save half of that, but she'll never be able to trummel again. And we just hope she doesn't turn green. And Ethel, of course, starts crying. It's all very ridiculous, but it's it's pretty fun. It's It's so over-the-top silly that it kind of takes away the worry that you might normally feel. So later, Ricky has his entire band over for a bit we're going to get to in a minute. And he reveals to Fred that he put green light bulbs in the bedroom so that when Lucy wakes up, she'll think she's turned green, the deadly sign of the go-blutes. And just like clockwork, Lucy wakes up. She's all upset. She calls Ricky in. So Lucy says her goodbyes, and she prepares to die. And right as she's getting ready to have her dramatic death scene, Ricky stops her and says that the band is there to play her a farewell dirge. They come in. The trumpet gets very close to her face. And Ricky says very dramatically, this is the last music she'll ever hear, so make it sweet. And they launch into this really fun, swingy New Orleans-style song, which, historical note, is a Louis Armstrong song called I'll Be Glad When You're Dead, You Rascal You, which is incredibly dark even for Ricky. Like, wow. But it isn't. it is a good swinging song. It's very pleasant to listen to. In classic I Love Lucy style, at this point, it all resolves super fast. Lucy's very upset. Ricky owns up to the fact that it was all a ruse. Lucy gets mad, but Ricky points out that they're even Stevens at this point because Lucy started it, which I actually do agree with in this case. They start to make out. Everybody leaves. Lucy brings up being in the show one more time, and then Ricky makes, you know, and then Ricky fakes amnesia to get out of it, and we roll the credits. And that's the episode. So what did we think? I thought this one was very fun. I think that we're starting to pick up the pace in season one. I think we're starting to, I'm hopeful at least, that we're starting to get out of our kind of not-so-great episode run of I Love Lucy season one where things are kind of figuring themselves out. This one had a good rhythm. This one really was playing with a lot of comedic rules. What I like about this episode from a comedy standpoint is that they play a lot with expectation and surprise in this episode. And they're doing that in so many ways. So there's a few reasons why we might laugh, like psychologically speaking, reasons that provoke laughter. And comedy will play with those. So there, you know, there's there's mocking, there's laughing at, so like laughing in a mockery way, kind of the mean way. Um, there's laughing out of relief. So like when you see a scary movie and there's a jump scare and you scream and then you laugh at the fact that you just screamed, that's like a relief. Um, there's laughing in delight. You're just so, you're just so happy that you giggle at something. A lot of parents, you know, laugh that way with their babies when their baby does something cute. Um, and then there's laughter from surprise and laughter from surprise comes from playing with your expectation. And this episode does such a good job of that. They do such a beautiful job of playing with what you're expecting Lucy to do. And this episode works, does it in multiple ways. They're doing verbal gags um, or audio gags like the song, like the May I game. They're doing visual gags like her coming out dressed fully as Tallulah Bankhead. And Lucy herself is working in all of these different realms. Lucy's working physically 
when, like when she's doing the amnesia character and she's got those giant eyes, she's working vocally. Um, the way that she's throwing her voice to be to Lula Bankhead or be a child. And she's doing it verbally with the actual words that she's saying. So, so this episode is really a masterclass, both in a comedic writing and in a comedic performance way. Because when we look at it, you can see just so much in terms of levels. She plays big. She plays small. Her voice goes low. Her voice goes high. She has a swagger to her, then an innocence, then a childlike innocence, which is different than the innocence of a person with amnesia. Then she goes back to her regular character. Then she's playing with the idea that she's that she's got the go-bloots and is going to die. And there's the melodrama there. There's so much happening, and all of it is within this kind of otherworldly sitcom realm where all of this is plausible. It is such a delight to watch, and I can't recommend this episode enough. It's it's such a beautiful constellation of what makes Lucille Ball such a great physical performer. So those are my thoughts on the episode. I think that that comedically speaking, this is a really, really good one. And and also, just from like a sociological perspective, I think this episode ages really well. It's a really good example of um, the right way to do this kind of punch and Judy back and forth that Lucy and Ricky have, where Ricky is getting back at Lucy for a ruse that Lucy had, but it the, the punishment doesn't feel so extreme, right? Like, the adagio is uncomfortable because he pretends to get shot and like die, right? To punish her for, you know, doing a dance and having a man chase her. And it's very weird. Um, And in this episode, it's like, even he brings it up that she started it first. And even though in his ruse, Lucy thinks she might die. It's so ridiculous and absurd that it crosses over from being really mean to just being, so silly. He he doesn't say that she has a horrible disease that we all know, right? He makes something up and it's funny syllables and he says that they're going to take out, you know, something that doesn't even exist, that she'll never be able to trummel again. It's so obviously not real, even though Lucy Ricardo has to believe it for the plot to continue, that the audience is able to not be worried about Lucy in a 2022 perspective. It doesn't have the same weird 1950s um, patriarchal uncomfiness, for lack of a better term, that a lot of that that some of these early episodes have had. And I think that that's a really great feature of this episode as well. So this is definitely one I would recommend watching. Super great. So now it's time for some historical notes. And boy, howdy, was it exciting to talk about this. So first and foremost, let's just chat super quickly about Hal March, who will come back in a later episode um, called Lucy Plays Matchmaker, which is an episode I grew up watching. I always really liked that one. I thought Hal March was very dreamy, actually. So Hal March was kind of making the rounds at this point. He was in a few things, not much before this. He had only been on the scene. His first IMDb credit as an actor um, was 1949. So he really wasn't around much. But at this point, Hal March had been in the George Burns and Gracie Allen show quite a few times. Um, he was in 16 episodes total. So it's it's reasonable to believe that he was kind of recognizable from the George Burns and Gracie Allen show and that that was 
kind of the joke they were doing was because I Love Lucy was sort of the new George and Gracie that Lucy and Ricky were kind of taking that over. I don't know, maybe that was the joke they were doing. And then he was also, uh, he played a recurring character named Jack in Betty White's show Life with Elizabeth in 1953. And he was in quite a few other TV shows. He seemed to do very, very well in TV in the late 50s. And his career was pretty short-lived because he passed away in 1970 at the age of 49. But he did come back in The Lucy Show in 1966. And he was in the Westinghouse uh, Preview Theater, which I believe was a Desilu production as well. So he definitely kind of stayed in the family, which is fun. But now let's talk briefly about the source of Lucille Ball's greatest impression, in my opinion, Tallulah Bankhead, a Hollywood legend. I'm going to do a longer episode on Tallulah Bankhead, hopefully during the hiatus between season one and season two um, over the summer. Uh, It's one of my like bonus episode ideas that I want to do when we don't have episodes to watch because the series was off. But Tallulah Bankhead is, without a doubt, my favorite guest star of the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour, which is the series that followed I Love Lucy, which Lucy Desi Comedy Hour basically was a series of episodes where there was a different celebrity guest star every single week. And with Without question, Tallulah Bankhead is my favorite. I think she's amazing, and I think she's much funnier than people give her credit for. And I just want to talk a little bit about her. <laughs> so I like to think of Tallulah Bankhead as a as a wonderful combination of the stage and screen presence of a Betty Davis, the gravitas of a Betty Davis, the sassy, quick-wittedness of a Mae West, and the sexual proclivities of a Marlena Dietrich. She is such an amazing character and an incredible example of old Hollywood. Tallulah Bankhead was born into a prominent Alabama political family. She had many members of her family who were in Congress, who were senators, who I think her father was the Speaker of the House Bankhead lived so many lives. She was a member of the Algonquin Round Table. She was a, a star of the London stage, even though she was a girl from Alabama. She was in one of Hitchcock's first movies in America called Lifeboat. She was in a, a bunch of George Cooker movies. She went back to Broadway. She was in a really incredible play by Lillian Hellman called The Little Foxes, which kind of propelled her even further. She was in the Skin of Our Teeth by Thornton Wilder. She was in a lot of plays that are now taught in theater school. She was in Private Lives by Noel Coward, a revival, not the original, in the late 40s. She just was everywhere, especially on stage. She was hugely prominent on stage. And the same year that Lucy was pretending to be her in this episode, she released her autobiography called Tallulah, of course. And it was a bestseller. It had that really wonderful Tallulah wit. I'll link that book in it below. It's definitely worth a read. It's super fun. Much like Marlena Dietrich and many, many um, female stars of this era, she was very famously um, bisexual, although she preferred the term <laughs> ambisextrous, which is hilarious. And I'm going to start using that term all the time. And she was linked romantically with Greta Garbo, Hattie McDaniel, um, 
Billie Holiday. A lot of these are conjecture, but I think it's just a really, but it's, it, that kind of lavender era of Hollywood um, is so fascinating and so interesting. And she was a part of that. So just something to consider. She was married to John Emery, who was in an episode of I Love Lucy. He was in the episode, The Quiz Show. And she never got married again. She never had any children. She had a hysterectomy in 1933 as a result of gonorrhea. Like I said, she lived pretty hard. She was a really, really fascinating woman. And her performance in Lifeboat, um, which is pretty easy to access, is really, really excellent. And I'm so looking forward to getting to talk about her even more and talk about her relationship with Lucille Ball. It was not a good one. As we get closer to the Lucy Desi comedy hour and when we cover her over the summer. So I'm sorry that this isn't a full, full deep dive, but I just wanted to chat a little bit about her and about how wonderful she is. And Lucy will impersonate her again in Ricky Asks for a Raise later in this season, actually. I think they realized how popular it was to hear her doing the voice. So I think that's enough rambling about Tallulah Bankhead for one day and about how fabulous she was. But mm, we'll come back to her another day. So next week, we are talking about Lucy Writes a Play, which, spoiler alert, is one of my all-time favorite episodes of the show. I think it's highly underrated. We'll see if I still feel that way once I watch it again. I haven't seen it in a little while, but I love this episode. If you haven't seen it, uh, get on it. It's so great. Here's the logline for Lucy Writes a Play. Lucy writes a play set in Cuba. She has Ricky in mind for the star, but he refuses the part, so she changes her play from Cuba to England so Fred can take Ricky's spot. However, once Ricky learns that a famous producer will be in attendance, he decides to surprise Lucy and appear in the play. And that's that. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Please take the time to rate and review it on iTunes. I will link to Lula Bankhead's autobiography below, um, which is which will also take you to my bookshop.org shop, which has a bunch of books about Lucille Ball in it, as well as some books on old Hollywood. Um, I just added a, a really lovely book about Carol Lombard, who was one of Lucille Ball's dearest friends, who legend has it, appeared to her in a dream. Um and convinced her to do I Love Lucy. So in a way, we have Carol Lombard to thank for I Love Lucy existing, at least in the folkloric way, which I'm happy to believe. So her book is on there, um, as well as a bunch of really great books about Lucille Ball. I particularly would love to recommend a, a book called Ball of Fire. I find that book to be really, really lovely. So if any of those books are interesting to you, you can click on the link and take a little look-see around, purchase any of those books uh, if you would like to, and you won't only be supporting uh, the podcast, but you'll be supporting a small business, bookshop.org, donates a percentage of every sale to a local business in your area, I believe. So it's, it's a really fantastic shop and a great alternative to Amazon if that's something that you're interested in, and I highly recommend shopping there. But that's it. I will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much for listening to The Ricardo Project. If you would like to reach me for any reason whatsoever, I would be honored to hear from you. You can get to me by email at thericardoproject at gmail.com or on Instagram at thericardoproject. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more folks find the show, and it personally just makes my day. If you didn't enjoy this episode, I totally get it. I'm not for everyone. I hope you have a wonderful weekend either way, and I'll be back on Friday of next week for Lucy Writes a Play.